Can't wait for summer? Old Navy's huge summer sale starts now. All jeans, all tees, all dresses, and all shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Jeans start at $15 for adults, $10 for kids. Shorts from $12 for adults, $7 for kids. Buy online and pick up in-store for free today. All jeans, tees, dresses, and shorts are on sale up to 50% off. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 5-6 to 5-12. Excludes in-store clearance, active, licensed, men's packaged, and flag tees. Friday scheduling weirdo thing. I uh, I don't know what happened when I was trying to schedule it. I thought that it was for Friday, but I accidentally scheduled it for Saturday. And then when I came back to change it, all the slots were filled, and I didn't get to do it. And it really pissed me off. And I I was pissy the rest of the Friday night. I have to tell you that I was just very irritated. <clears throat> I uh, I actually even I read. The Awakening to kind of prep myself for it on Friday. So that was extra irritating. I took time out of my day to go back and read the story so I'd be ready to do my thing. And then I had to wait two days to do my thing. Almost two days. Whatever. It was very irritating. I had a very irritating Friday. I um, <clears throat> One of the things uh, I asked people to do it would be to ask questions on my live journal, and a few of you did. And so I'm going to address those first, provided I can go back to where I was and find it. Okay. Um, The first question is actually uh, kind of a touchy subject for me. Azor asks, what would you like to say to the idiots that complained because you wrote Blair as a strong, intelligent character instead of a weak? weepy, useless 12-year-old girl. Here's a problem. I encountered a lot of bullshit from the Sentinel fandom for how I wrote Blair in um, The Awakening. I I don't subscribe to that theory that when you put two men together, one of them's a woman, or one of them should act like a woman, or a very immature girl. Because a lot of times they don't even paint the guy they're putting in the feminine role as a strong woman. No, he's a wimpy, can't do anything for himself, probably would die first in a horror movie girl. And it is so fucking irritating. I have closed more stories in fandom for that reason alone than any other. And and it could boil down... To a couple of things. One, I was raised in the South. I believe men should be men. I don't care who they're fucking or how they're fucking. Men should be men. That means no whining. No weepy bullshit. And when you cry, it better be serious. Somebody better be dead. <laughs> that That's the only reason men cry. 
Okay, funerals. I'm sorry. That's just that. That's how I was raised. That's how I am. And that's you know, men should be strong. And even if they're gay, they should be strong. Men should be strong. Women should be strong too. But there's a difference. And I and I, it's sexist. I know. I can't help it. That's just how I was raised. I probably could help it. I just don't choose to. Let's let's put that out there. Um, a lot of grief for the awakening. And for several reasons. One, because it won a couple of awards, and people didn't like that. And they didn't like how I portrayed Blair as independent and strong, and like he was his own person before he met Jim. He wasn't some extension of Jim where he didn't actually exist before he found his sentinel. Um, And the thing is, is... I never understood why fandom turned Blair into this wimpy, can't-take-care-of-himself person, when in canon that was in no way the truth. I mean, he was someone who basically had been on his own for a very long time because his mother was flighty and irresponsible. So he raised himself. He's in college. This is a man who's gone on expeditions into primitive situations. He's not incapable of living his life or defending himself, and he shouldn't be dependent on Jim for his survival. That's just not how that works in reality. And so when I wrote Blair, I had no interest whatsoever in in giving in to the fanon of the Sentinel fandom, and I paid for that. I did. I paid for that because I got a lot of abuse. And I got a lot of grief from readers in the fandom, and I was accused of hijacking the Light My Fire Awards that year because my Stargate fans came into the fandom and voted for me to win all these awards that I won for the story. And people hated it. They they hated the way I wrote Blair. They hated the poetry that I used in it, and it actually had purpose. It was it was part of the plot. It it wasn't something I added for no reason whatsoever. I I put a lot of thought into it. I put a lot of thought into the pieces that I actually used. And every one of those pieces in that story has a has a connection to the characters and to the and to the development of I'm sorry, Cisco just started howling out in my backyard for no reason at all. Anyways, Cisco's my dog, if you don't know. Um, And good Lord, if you listen to me and watch me and read my stuff and read my live journal, you should definitely know who Cisco is. But if you don't, my Siberian husky, and he's out in the backyard howling at the moon or something. So, I yeah, each piece of poetry or story that is quoted in the the Awakening has a connection to the story that is being told. And the biggest connection that I make is when Jim quotes Beowulf to um, to, to Blair. Because Beowulf as a character is um, both strong and weak. Uh, he's um, tragic. And it's it's an interesting story to involve yourself in. And I'm not saying that Jim is comparing himself to Beowulf, but there is a uh there is a a give and a take 
on that issue in the story. And and if you go back and you read it and, and you look at the pieces that I picked that, that Blair, they all have bearing and they all have meaning for the plot. And so it was really irritating to have people dismiss that part of the story as unnecessary when I put so much effort <laughs> into blending them into the plot and to the character development. And I was like, you know what, fuck you. I can't, fuck, I can't, you don't have to appreciate, yeah, you do. If I put, if I hook my ass off or something, I expect people to appreciate it. And I put a lot of fucking thought into that, just, just so you know. So, when I put the awakening out there after the beta process, and there was some issues in the beta process too, but that's neither here nor there. When I put it out, there were two There were basically two reactions. Um, oh, I love it, or oh, I hate it. What are you doing? How dare you? How dare you violate our fanon? How dare you not write Blair as a wimpy girl? What's wrong with you? To which I say, in Azor, to answer your question, what would I say to those idiots? You can kiss my ass. That's what I'm saying to you. You can kiss my ass. It's a cute one, too. And you're totally, you can all line up and kiss it. That's what I have to say about that. I, uh, I don't... Because I don't know why someone as strong as Jim would want someone who wasn't a partner to him in life. That doesn't make any fucking sense to me. And so that's not what I wrote, and that's not what I'm ever going to write, and I'm not going to be one of those people who writes a girl with a dick. Um, Unless it literally is a girl with a dick, and I might actually write that, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about... And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Reader entitlement is what I'm talking about. The assumption that you have the right to tell a writer how to approach a situation or a character is ridiculous. You can either read it or not. And nine times out of ten, your opinion about what you would have done if you'd have wrote it is not going to be appreciated. Now, the fact of the matter is, is I love feedback, sort of. It's a double-edged sword. I like interacting with my readers in the chat room, and I like, you know, doing the blog thing and have people call in. I love that. But, and this is a big but, I'm not inviting you into my process. I have two betas. Sometimes I have three, depending on the situation and what I'm doing with the project. I don't intend to ever invite anybody else into that process. I just don't care to hear what you have to say when it comes to my plot development and my character development and, and how I move through a story. That's personal to me. And that's why I find non-consensual beta so offensive, because have the right 
to inject yourself into my process. You just don't. And when you do, when you assume you have the right to tell me how to do something or to correct me on something that you think that I should do a different way, that makes you an asshole. Plain and simple. It makes you an asshole. And if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. You can be an asshole any place you like, but on my website. And I'm never going to approve your comments, and I'm going to continue to ignore your emails, because I don't care to know. I really... Black Castle writes on my live journal, I love this story. I like how you wrote their relationship and how you portrayed the Sentinel God culture. The case mystery was very was really well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I put a lot of effort into the case. Um, if you ever get inspired again, I would love to read more. But since I read all your fandoms, you write, your update, and any update is a happy update for me. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, I did put a lot of effort into the case part because a lot of times when you read um, Fix where one of the characters is a cop, the case part of a story, if you include a case, doesn't always gel. It doesn't always make sense. It, sometimes it can be like the part of the story that falls to pieces and makes it difficult to enjoy at all. This does bring to mind, um, I posted in my first Evil Author Day an excerpt called Forget Me Not, and I put on the post that it was basically the first it was the original opening for The Awakening, and that's kind of disingenuous because what happened was is that I started four or five different Sentinel stories at the same time. Well, it wasn't a period of the same, I don't know, 30 or 40 days, let's put it that way. Not at the same exact time, you can't. Anyways, so I had started all these different ones, and I started Forget-Me-Not. And it was a story about how Blair and Jim met in... <clears throat> in South America, and how they bonded, and when Jim was separated from Blair, he suppressed not only his memory of the event, but his sentinel gifts as well. So when Blair makes it back to the civilization, Jim is married Carol, Caroline, Carol, Caroline, fuck it, he's married that redhead woman from the show, and he... And he and Blair is devastated. So so Blair backs away and and lets Jim have the life that he thinks that Jim wants. And then, but Jim, on some instinctual level, recognized Blair immediately, and it changed everything. And eventually, his sentinel woke up, and he began to remember who Blair was. And that story is um, a very different story. Than, than what happened in the awakening, and the reason I kind of connect them two in my in my head is because originally I called Forget Me Not the awakening, and I referred to Jim's uh, memory resurfacing as his awakening, and then but it didn't. What I put into that, I I was like, this doesn't really work for what I want to do. So I stopped and I went back and I started over and I renamed that fic, Forget Me Not, and then I picked up an empty document, tiled it The Awakening, and started putting my plot points down. And that's how um, I went from one story to the next. So 
I hope that answers that question. And it is, it is, it is a different opening, and it's not a different opening, if, if that makes any kind of sense. <clears throat> Silver Shadow Kit says, I admit I've always been curious about the spirit animals, especially in your verses. I haven't been able to watch all the Sentinel episodes. I've had issues with the Internet before. I know that <clears throat> in canon, Jim has the leopard, but do you have a system for assigning spirit animals to your characters? I don't. I really don't. What's interesting, though, is that when with with Sentinels of Atlantis, I, this um, I had this awesome collection of art where someone put each Sentinel and guide with the animal that I picked for them. And what was really funny is a lot of the actors and their spirit animals actually kind of looked alike. It was really weird, and it wasn't done on purpose. It just it it happened. You know, when I <clears throat> assigned the animals. To the different characters, it was just okay. You know, what do I see here? There was no rhyme or reason to it at all. None. It was just me being me and randomly picking. Like I knew that Rodney was going to be a wolf, and now in Sentinels of in the Awakening, um, Blair's spirit god is a wolf. That that's canon, I believe. I believe that's canon, and I, I think Jim's is actually a black jaguar instead of a leopard. I don't know. Um, I haven't watched the the Sentinel show in a very, very long time. Oh, confession. And this is terrible. And all those people who hated my story, I'm going to give you a reason to hate it for real. So the next time someone brings up the Awakening in a fandom discussion, you can say, oh, I hate that story, and this is why. And it will be legit. You'll have a legit reason to hate it. When I wrote The Awakening... I had never seen a single episode of The Sentinel. Every bit of information I got regarding canon came from wiki, like a Sentinel wiki that I'm not even sure exists anymore, and other people's fan fiction. (laughs) So, if you hate it, the next time you're in a chat or on Live Journal and someone brings it up and it infuriates you and you have to tell everybody you hate it because they care about your opinion, right? Okay, so you can tell them, oh, I hate it. She'd never even watched a single episode of The Sentinel when she wrote that bullshit. And it will be true. There you go. Now you have a reason. And it's legit. And kiss my ass. So, we'll move on. Samantha Kathy writes, I have to ask, how did you deal with writing what I call the horror part of the story? The death of that little girl with Blair being with her on the spirit plane. It was difficult. I'm I'm not going to lie. Whenever I have to, I don't have to, whenever I write something dark into a story, no matter what it might be, is a difficult process to, to undertake. And that's why I don't write a lot of dark fic. I don't write a lot of senseless violence. I don't write abuse. I'll never write rape ever in a million years. Um, If if it happens to a character, it's going to happen off screen or even before the story gets started and it will be referred to in the past tense and and, and never explicitly talked about because I don't do that. I don't find it entertaining. I don't understand anybody who does. 
I, I really don't. So writing um, darker parts of the story are difficult, but when I do write them, it's because they're integral to the plot. I don't write for titillization. I don't write um, that sort of thing as a for shock value. I don't. That's just not something that I appreciate in other people. So I'm not going to do it either. I'm not really interested in shocking my reader that way with something horrific. It is in the story because it was integral to the plot. And also, it was integral to what happens in the second story in that universe, which is currently called... Mm, it is currently called The Knowing, and I have an excerpt up on one of the evil author days on my live journal, I believe is author day two, maybe? I don't know. You'll have to look. Uh <clears throat> Because in book two, Blair's relationship with the little girl that died in The Awakening um, blooms and, and blossoms into something quite extraordinary, at least in my plot, my, my current plot. And so she had to die in the first book, and it, Blair had to be connected to it in a very um, intimate way so that it would play out plot-wise, for the second book. And if you're in the chat room, Lady Holder has posted an, uh, a link to The Knowing. I'm going to uh, create a list of links, and I will edit the radio show at the end of my broadcast so that you can um, look at these. If, you, if, if you're on the podcast, when you're listening on the podcast, there will be links on the page on Blog Talk, where you can click on these links to see what I'm talking about that you won't be able to see in <clears throat> because the chat will be gone when you come to listen to the podcast. Okay. So that's why I wrote that. I, it, it was difficult. Um, you just got to push through. When you're writing something that you can't get around writing, you just have to push it. You... You force yourself to go there, and then when you're done, when when you finish that scene or that chapter, you need to get up and you need to walk away from it. Do something that makes you happy and, and try not to think about it anymore for the rest of the day because it, it can take you somewhere dark and, and make things difficult for you. And I have written things in the past where I gave myself nightmares. Uh, so just be careful with yourself. Always be careful with yourself, no matter your circumstance, because with yourself. <coughs> Shattered Eternity, Eternity writes, I'm curious about Naomi. Since all your guys in your verse have that dark, empty place in them that is fulfilled by their sentinel, and according to the awakening, Naomi and Blair's father was a perfect match. So if you could expand on how she was able to step away from her internal fulfillment of having a sentinel, since since it seems that that empty space is very painful for a guide. What I wanted it to be um, to be clear about Naomi, but um, maybe I didn't quite get there in the story, is that she's corrupt, and that corruption is possible in guides and sentinels. And, and that no one's perfect. They're, they're all capable of making bad choices and bad decisions and hurting themselves and hurting other people. And that just because you're a guide doesn't mean 
you're by no means perfect, and that by no means are you is is empathy a um, a uh, a way of, of of living a she's just she's corrupt is is what it boils down to, and it why I chose to make her that way has no bearing on the character itself because like I said when I had written. When I had written that story, I'd never even watched a single episode. Now, Naomi's actually a villain a great deal in Fanon, and that could be why it was so easy to make her a not nice person in The Awakening. But it, but it boils down to me wanting to have an example of the fact that even having empathy and and having a guide and, and being a guide and having a sentinel. Um, doesn't preclude the fact that you can make mistakes and be fucked up and be an asshole. Because she is. She's terrible. She is corrupt. And she doesn't understand Blair's sense of duty. Um, She is selfish. And she's self-centered. And even in canon, I think that Naomi is is very... She's a very selfish person. She's very self-involved. And it... In canon, she is responsible for basically ruining her son's academic career. She leaked his dissertation, and it ruined him academically. And she had no... I don't think she genuinely ever felt bad about it, to be honest. It was like... Oh, I did that. It'll be fine. Detach with love. No, not really, you fucking asshole. It's really not fine. Because not only did she betray Blair, she betrayed Jim. She ruined Blair's academic career, something he'd worked for for so many years. And it was just terribly selfish. And so it's easy to write her as a total cunt in fan fiction because she was on the show. I mean, that's just what it boils down to. She's, yes, she's broken. She's a broken person. And when you um, into the Sentinel Guide universe, and I wanted her to be a damaged guide. I, I, because that's going to play into to book two when she comes to Cascade to try to insert herself into Blair's life and to. Well, her goal will be to I'm not saying she's going to try to take Jim away from Blair. That's not what I would say. What I would say is that her goal will be to make Blair less attached to Jim because she sees it um, as corrupt. She sees the whole bonding process as corrupt because she is. She's corrupt, and she never loved her sentinel. She never felt any sort of duty to her sentinel. She was actually, from her point of view, bound to him against her will. She hated him, and she wanted him to die. That's why she left him, and that's why she took their child. Plain and simple. And that's going to come out in part two. She resented being a god, and she resented him, and she resented Blair, um, but, but took him anyway. So, yeah, it's just because 
perfection isn't a guarantee when you're a god, and and that's why I made her the way she is. So Rogue Fifty Three says, "Oh, I already answered that question about um, the, the 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 forget me not storyline." So okay. Viserys, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying that wrong, says, "Even though I don't, I won't get to listen to you tonight." And we'll have to wait for the podcast. What exactly is your inspiration for the Sentinel Guide Center? This is funny because my inspiration for the Sentinel Guide Center is actually the show The Pretender, which is centered around a uh, organization called The Center. And uh, I picked the actor and the actress from from the pretender, to be a sentinel and a guide in the awakening. And when I did that, I thought, oh, what am I going to call the center? Oh, I have to call it the center. So it's kind of like a, uh, it was originally an Easter egg, basically, because the, the actor who plays Jared in the pretender is Heath, the alpha sentinel for Seattle. And his wife and guide Marie Edwards no Marie what what was her name fuck me I already forgot her name is Miss Parker on the pretender and so when I cast that actor and actress to play a sentinel and guide in my the awakening story I kind of stuck the center in as a joke it's a a little play on my stealing of actors and actresses from the pretender so that's all that was just me being a little bit of a nerd, I guess you could say. And it did, I once I established it, I pushed it through the Sentinels of Atlantis because it just seemed like the thing to do. Because so. I already had, once, you, once you've got something organized in your head and it's yours, you can reuse the hell out of it. I've been informed, yes, it was Marie and Heath Edwards. Those are the uh, alpha pair for Seattle in The Awakening. And they uh, were from, the the actor and actress are from The Pretender. So she also writes, he, she, she. Even if gay marriage isn't legal in the timeline of the story, why isn't there an exceptional exception for sentinel guide pairs or at least some form of automatic civil partnership? Actually, there is. There is an entire scene dedicated to Jim musing about the fact that not only that because they are sentinel and guides, that even if their state didn't allow gay marriage, which, by the way, Washington does and did at the time, um, that they would be allowed a domestic partnership because of their sentinel guide relationship. So that's actually in the book already. Um, it's not automatic because that you can't assume that a sentinel guide going into a new relationship with a sentinel or a guide is actually single and available for an automatic civil partnership because there are times when you have a guide and sentinel meeting, and one of them will be married, which would make an automatic civil partnership impossible. I don't dis... Okay, she says... 
what are the ramifications of having sentinel gods come out of the woodwork had amidst the religious right, such as beings from God or you know gifts from God are being vilified by, as agents of Satan? I don't bring up religion in the awakening on purpose, and this is because of me. It is impossible for me to write about religion without bashing it. I know this about myself. So a lot of times I will story if I possibly can because I'm an atheist. And I will say rude, terrible, fucked up things that will piss you off. So to avoid that, there are a couple of things. It's just like things you don't discuss you know, with your family, your religion, politics, Eurovision. <laughs> just things that will make other people really mad that you don't talk about, right? So I don't talk about religion too much in my fix because it I will end up bashing the fuck out of the religion. So I ignored that aspect of that in the awakening. But yes, I can see religion being both good and bad in the Sentinel God concept because it could be seen as gifts from God or they could be seen as some disgusting terrible thing because of the gay sex elements or or whatever. So there's <clears throat> there are reasons why it could be good and bad and I skipped it because of my own personal bias. And I I don't try I, I work very hard not to insert myself into my stories or and but a lot of times my opinions and my smart ass mouth do get in there. Uh, but So I try to avoid discussing things in my fic where I know I won't be able to keep my opinion to myself. And if you read what might have been, sometimes Sebastian says things about religion that totally came out of my mouth, okay? I So I try to avoid that if I possibly can. So there we go. And the last person who commented on my live journal... The Waking is the first story of yours that I ever read, and it went down here, downhill from there. Aha, uh-huh, thanks. I went into it not having any, any preconceived notions because I had only seen a couple of episodes. <laughs> that was more than me. So I had the gist of the idea. I love the story and how you wove everything together, the spirit guides and the whole thing. Sentinel stories that portray guides as weak and or submissive make me nuts. You and me both, sweetheart. Because if they really think about it, the God enables the Sentinel to do what they do. It seems to me that if you look at it that way, the God is the top dog. I thought, okay. At the end of the story, there's a scene where the Alpha Prime of America and people are watching out for Blair. Am I right in guessing that he's Blair's father? No, you're not. Blair's father is dead. Jack Kelso is the Alpha Sentinel, is the Alpha Guide Prime of North America. And he is not Blair's father. He's Blair's uncle. Jack Kelso is the twin of Blair's father. And he is a guide, and his sentinel is Hunter. Uh, I 
fucking forgot his first. Hunter. I forget, I, I forget his first name. But, but if you go back to the end of that, you'll see that. And <clears throat> Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages situations. Someone's asking me in the chat room if I meant fraternal or, ident or identical twins. Um, considering the fact that one's a guide and one's a sentinel, they are fraternal because the genes are different. And identical twi twins tend to have the same thing going on. So Jack is a guide. Um, his brother, whom I never named in the story, and I still have not given a name, Maybe I'll let the minions name him later. Was a sentinel, and he was Naomi Sentinel, and um, he did die before the age of 20 because Naomi left him. And so Jack has been aware of Blair the whole time. So when you see that scene in the story where he's is talking to Jack and Jack's like how you know how's Blair and Jack's like, and he's like I don't know what the fuck this is and I'll, I'll want off this train real quick because he has no context just like you as the reader had no context so you had no idea from what direction Jack Kelso was coming from and and that was the point sorry I sometimes I just do shit like that yeah you have to forgive me maybe sort of <laughs> anyway. So that's why it he's he's Blair's uncle. <clears throat> Hunter's first fucking name. It's like a total mystery to me. It's just it's all gone. And Hunter is actually a character from another co Rick Hunter. Thank you, Jilly James. Um, Rick Hunter is a character from another cop show <laughs> in the eighties called Hunter. My mom loved that shit. I love that shit. Although my favorite was Spencer for Hire, because I had this ginormous crush on Hawk, who was played by Ray Brooks. And he was bald and beautiful. Yeah. I loved me some Spencer for Hire. Mostly for Hawk. I ain't gonna lie. So when I put, when I was trying to figure out who his guide, who his sentinel would be, when I was picking out Jack Kelso's sentinel, I was torn between three: Spencer from Spencer for Hire, Magnum <laughs> from Magnum PI, because I do have a deep affection for Tom Selleck, or Rick Hunter, and I picked Rick Hunter. Um, I'm a reason to it. I just I, I I just picked him. He was the one I picked, and I I left it at that. Uh, so yeah, there we go. 
when I opened up the awakening, let me talk about story structure and and how that came to be. I wanted to introduce the characters in a way that told the reader, okay, here they are. They're living individual lives. Neither one of them are particularly happy. They're isolated at work and at home, but in different ways. They, you know, because Jim is exceptionally lonely when the awakening opens. He is fighting against his instincts and drives to find his guide, and he is ignoring the most integral parts of himself in order to deal with his perceived emotional needs. It's a very emotional decision that he's made. He had a very difficult time in South America when, when, when he was stranded there. And his attachment to the shaman there wasn't inappropriate, but it became inappropriate because when he came back to the States and had suppressed who he was or repressed who he was as a sentinel, it it messed him up. So he <clears throat> had to deal with all of that, and his way of dealing with it was to ignore it. He ignored the emotional disconnect with the shaman. And I know his name. I just can't say his name, which is why I have not said it. <laughs> and it, like I said, I no, I'm, so, I'm not even going to try. The shaman guy. that starts with an I-N-C-A-C-H-A. Yeah, I'm Southern, sweetheart. We're not having a pronunciation issue here tonight. <clears throat> So the people in the chat room are offering me suggestions on how you should say it, which makes me want to say shanana, which, you know, makes me want to think of Greece, and that's just a whole new, because Greece is the word. It's got group, it's got meaning. There, that's how my mind actually works. I went from getting lessons on how to say a, a name to Greece. There we go. Anyways. My husband, I'm going to tell you this, it's, it's, we're going to have a little interlude. My husband comes up to me, he said, and he snaps his fingers and he says, who, what was that country band in the 80s that had that man with the really deep voice? And since we share a wavelength, I immediately said, you mean the Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> And I don't know why I just told you that. But, yeah. <clears throat> no, I mean the Oak Ridge Boys. Um, the Elvira song. And the one guy, he has that super deep voice, and he goes, um, bop em, mal. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Look it up on YouTube. Look it up on YouTube. Look up Elvira. You'll see it. And it's great. If you get that live performance from, like, the Country Music Awards, that one guy dances around the whole time. It is fucking hilarious. I recommend it. 
I recommend that you look at that later if you haven't already because it is maze balls. Anyway. <laughs> so, they opened it up, and I opened it up with them being um, really lonely individually. I'm going to grab this link here and put it on my list so that um, people in the podcast will have a list to Elvira, have a link to Elvira if they wish to re- to, li- to listen to this thing. Anyways, Jim is lonely. He's he's isolated himself at work. Blair is working by himself for the FBI in a situation that's kind of abnormal. He is arguing with his mother a lot. He is frustrated and underappreciated at work. He's dealt with an extreme loss in the field. And he's very upset. So when he comes home, his loneliness is like practically another person in the room. And all he wants, all he wants is a sentinel at, at that point. He, he wants to be... He wants a partner in, in his life. And so in his grief, he reaches out for Jim. And on the other side of the country, Jim wakes up. And he has to deal with the fact that in his own effort to isolate himself, he's also... And in some ways even punish himself, he's also isolated and punished his guide. So he travels to New York to get Blair. I think that I, I think it's important that he made that trip because when Blair gets the phone call, and he's in his boss's office, and he gets the phone call from the center, and he's told he has a Sentinel match. The first thing out of his mouth basically is, where do I have to go? I'll get on the plane. Just just tell me. You know, I'm I'm going to go. And then to be told that his Sentinel has actually come to him. It's very gratifying that, you know, and Larry doesn't realize exactly what he's done at this point. He doesn't know that he woke Jim up from a dead sleep on the other side of the country and basically pulled him across the country. He doesn't know that his own spirit guide has guided Jim to to him. And so he doesn't know that the, the wolf has taken Jim from the center all, all the way across town to the FBI building where he is. And he won't know that in their first meeting. And so but what he does know is that Jim has come for him. He's he's walked into this building uh, surrounded by a lot of law enforcement and he's he's pushed through and he's just not going to let anybody get in the way. I don't view that scene as a rescue. I know some people might, but I don't what it was for me, was Blair's lived his life unattached 
mother is not supportive, and then suddenly, you know, Jim is there, and and Jim has a a drive to protect Blair, but he also has a drive to be Blair's partner, someone who has Blair's back. And so finally, in that moment when they meet, Blair feels rewarded for all the work that he's put in because he's gotten a partner, and Jim is that partner, and he's he's attractive and he's strong, and he is obviously an alpha sentinel, and Blair is like, he's at the jackpot, and he knows it, and he's like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, if there had been anybody else in the room, then he got a fist bump. <laughs> you know? Because, yeah. And Jim, for his part, is is enthralled with Blair. He's beautiful, and he's talented, and he's intelligent, and he is perfect for him. And this comes into Jim's preconceived notions about what guides are and what he's seen other guides do. And he was afraid that he would get coddled and um, babied by this this theoretical guide that he was going to get eventually. And what he got instead was something entirely different. And, there, and there's a point in the story where Blair tells him that it's not right for him to judge what happens between other sentinels and guides because each guide, at least each intelligent guide, intelligent and um, emotionally aware guide, gives their sentinel exactly what they need, whether it's coddling or you know, outright babying, they're getting that from their guide because they require that. They need that, you know. And if their guide isn't meeting their needs, their their matches off or their guide is an asshole like Naomi, <laughs> you know. And like I said, you know, we talked about it earlier, no one's perfect, not even guys and not even sentinels. They're all capable of making mistakes and, and being foolish and being selfish and being self-centered and being jealous and petty. And you see that again later on in the story with Elizabeth when she is in one of the center facilities and she encounters a, a guy who is very jealous of Blair. And she loses her temper with him, and, and he was very selfish. And he was so selfish and so unaware of his surroundings that he caused a very young, very fragile guy to actually be abused in his presence by his own words. <clears throat> Other guys in the story that are not quite perfect, Marie. Marie Edwards is very political. She's used to having her way. Um, her sentinel is um, a badass. He's Not exactly moral. I mean, in the one of the final scenes in the book, you see he basically talk 
the cop into killing himself by telling him, I'm going to make your life a fucking nightmare until you die. And one day, if you don't kill yourself, I'm going to have one of the people who report to me kill you brutally. (laughs) And that's how he dealt with the problem. It's not exactly what I would say is justice, because, you know, his guy really should have gone to jail. Um, But it was his own version of justice, and he was very pleased with himself (laughs) when he got in the car. And the thing is, is his guide knows he's brutal, knows he's quite capable of what he did and what he promised to do. And she's perfectly okay with it. Whereas Blair would not be. (laughs) Blair would be like, no, that's not what you do, no. (laughs) But Marie's like, how dare you smoke in the car? <laughs> that was that that was it, you know. No no moral ambiguity. She wasn't, you know, there were no questions about your morality, your there was no question. She just was like you were smoking. <laughs> and that was her biggest concern. Never mind that her husband had just badgered somebody into suicide. She didn't give a shit. <laughs> She was just pissed that he smoked a cigarette while he wasn't in the while he, while he was in the house. That was her concern. So yeah, so you have to. They're 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 human beings. So there's a humanity there that you have to keep in mind, and and that was the point. Um. Let's see, what I did with Simon's character in the story is um, it was very organic and not on purpose. I didn't intend for Simon to end up the way he was. That's not the way I plotted it. I didn't make him an asshole in my plot. He just wasn't as integral to the plot on the outside when I plotted. But when I started writing, Simon's presence kind of wove into the narrative in a way that I didn't anticipate. And um, when I decided that Daryl was going to be a guide, that's when it all kind of glued together for me. Like, oh, okay. You know, it was like I almost made that decision early on and didn't articulate it. Like, I knew it was going there before it went there. And a lot of times when you're riding, it's such an organic experience that you're not really aware that you've made these decisions until you're putting them down on paper. And... I wanted to, and one of the reasons why I made Daryl a guide is I wanted to talk about guide sexuality and young people and and how that can impact how people treat them and especially how adults can resent um, guide children and which played into the, the bigger plot point of the case and little Jessica and what was going to happen. Because I needed her to um, be an online guide. And one of the things that I talked about Blair and Jim is that, you know, Blair's sexuality and his his attractiveness and, and how that translated beyond Sentinels. And I thought to myself, you know, in, if an adult guide is doing this, it is very likely that a young guy, if they came online, they would do it too. And if you have an adult in that child's life who has no abnormal 
sexual responses to a child who suddenly does, they would come to resent that child, and it would cause a lot of hostility. And it would create situations like what developed in the, in the story. And so I wanted to kind of use Daryl as a mirror to what was happening to the little girl that was missing, um, that what he was having to adjust and deal with was something that if, you know, these people came online early, and Sydney came online early, and Blair came online before he was an adult. And these are things that made them vulnerable in a society like they were in. And it also, it makes Sentinels a little more protective of guides because that they're not just attractive to other Sentinels, they're attractive to people who don't have those gifts as well. And it can lead to ugly situations, like with the detective at the academy with Blair who was very interested in having sex with Blair because he was a guide. And he was so interested in fucking Blair that he basically lost his mind. I mean, because why else would anyone try to blackmail a guide into having sex with them with their sentinel in the same building. He had no common sense. He was, like, blown. I mean, whatever common sense he might have was just, it, it disappeared. Poof. And and that's, like, legitimately thinking with your dick. I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and, and that's what happens when you think with your dick. Not that I have one. I don't have a dick. Well, I do, but it's not attached to my, it's, it's not attached to my body. And I have a couple of fake ones, too. That's, that's beside the point. <clears throat> so, case, um, I had I had a couple different case ideas when I was um, plotting this, and I went the one, the one I went with was pretty heinous, and um, I don't know why it isn't something I would normally write, and um, I I don't I kept the details sparse because I don't like to talk about stuff like that, um, but. There's a reality there because children are vulnerable and they are definitely... Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Uh, vulnerable to such crimes. I made them young. So that way most of them wouldn't be online, most of them would be latent, and they might not even be registered at that age, because it made it it made the argument that, that there had been so many viable and it had been happening for so long. Because if he'd been taking registered online guys and killing them, he wouldn't have gotten away with it for five years. It would have it would have come out a lot sooner. So they had to be young, they had to be latent. Except for that last one, and one of the reasons why, it was because they had to have a push to catch him, and they had to have a fresh case, and so, and I wanted to connect his crime personally to someone that Jim and Blair knew. It was literally a flip of a coin between Elizabeth and Daryl, because it almost was Daryl. 
that, that got kidnapped. Um, and I just, when I was plotting it and I had to choose between them, I flipped a coin and 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 Elizabeth became the victim of the kidnapping because I really um it would have been a different story if if it had been Daryl it would have been a lot more emotionally charged if it had been Daryl who'd been kidnapped but um I made the decision and then it was done and I plotted it and I I moved on so <clears throat> but uh so the, the, so the the case part of the awakening was was difficult to write. It was difficult to read. Um, it's difficult to even read now because it's terrible. It was a very terrible thing. I uh, also what I did was, and I'm not sure if people noticed it or paid attention to it. It was that I mirrored the case that Blair is working on in the very beginning by himself with the case that he eventually um, comes to have in um, Cascade because I wanted to uh, work those in. And also I wanted him to have a success. I knew that I was going to kill Jessica, but I also knew that the final victim would be rescued. Um, so, And since he didn't get to rescue the girl in Atlanta, I there was the rescue of Elizabeth in the end of that one. <laughs> there was that. And I have um I'm having a little spell. I have diabetes, for those of you who, who aren't aware of it. And um my sugar just dropped into the basement. I mean like literally. I mean I could I'm a little nauseous, so I'm going to get me a little piece of chocolate. Anyway, so I'm going to be moving around my house for a little bit. I uh, I manage my diabetes most of the time. I get a little stupid, you know. I get distracted, but I've actually eaten very well today. I don't need any lectures from anybody. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Um, anyways, <clears throat> I have these awesome Fiber One bars that have chocolate chips in them. And I totally forgot what I was talking about because of my sugar. It uh the politics of the awakening <laughs> Lady Holler is telling me in the chat room that she doesn't lecture, she nags. This is true. She's a nagging. Yeah, okay, Marcus tells me I'm talking about Elizabeth. I knew going into it that Elizabeth would be rescued. I, Her sentinel's appearance was one of those happy accidents. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a plotter, and I don't often deviate from my plot. But I, I felt like she needed a little reward for, for what she went through, so... I let her meet her sentinel. And it also gave me the opportunity, I had to go back and do a little plotting, mind you, um, to let the reader see what happens when two very young people end up bonding and the ramifications of that and, and how the pride can 
have some control over it, and also how the pride can protect a, a very young pair. And the politics behind it, because her sentinel wasn't registered, and he had a less than adequate conservator because of his father's politics. And I can see that actually happening, because, you know, a lot of times parents use their kids that way, and it's ugly and it's disgusting, but it happens. So I wanted to... Um, to bring that up and to push that in there. So it was really easy to do once I made the decision to have her meet to have her meet him later. You know, at the end where she was rescued. <clears throat> and for her to be after all that she's been through and she's all bossy and shit. <laughs> Which speaks to her resilience. Um, as a person and her character and to see uh, after all she's been through that she still has the uh, the attitude to give her Sentinel a lecture about not being registered and, you know, not doing his part in the system. But uh, it uh, it all plays in. I need somebody to ask me some questions because I have lost my train of thought because of the sugar thing. <sighs> Carrie S. Feel free to tell me to fuck off. I'm sure that's what you those little stars mean. But have you potted Daryl's Sentinel yet? I'm on the fence about Daryl's Sentinel. Because I haven't introduced a female Sentinel in the Awakening. I think that would be awesome to give him a really strong female Sentinel who's, you know, a badass. But that would require me skipping ahead a couple years. I don't want him to bond underage. So he, she, he or she, most likely she, wouldn't make it an appearance in book two, um, but definitely in book three, you know, and she would be, you know, awesome. Plans to expand the verse into other fandoms. I don't think so, and that's mostly because of, of Sentinels of Atlantis. Sentinels of Atlantis is uh, difficult huge. So it's difficult to imagine putting the awakening uh putting the awakening universe into other fandoms when I already have such a huge one going with Sentinels of Atlantis. <clears throat> Which I think lends itself more to crossover and I've also already introduced Jim and Blair in Sentinels of Atlantis. A different version of them than what you see in The Awakening, although I don't think all my readers thought that originally, but they but they are different. Um, the gem in Sentinels of Atlantis is a little gun-shy because Blair has been injured in the line of duty in that story. And so he's um, very protective. He's very... Uh, he's got a little, a little post-traumatic stress going on. So it he's a different he's a different person in Sentinels of Atlantis than he, than he was in the original. 
and uh, it makes a difference. So no, I probably would not expand the Awakening Universe into other fandoms just because I've already got that huge thing going on with the Sentinels of Atlantis. I, okay, Shattered Eternity is, do Sentinels in this version of the world come on very early as kids, and if they do, how does that cause problems, or does nature protect them some? Well, what we know in canon is that Jim exhibited some um, qualities of a sentinel very early in his life. And so it's possible, yes, it would certainly cause problems. They would probably need a conservator, a full-time conservator, because sentinels, in the established canon of the Awakening, Everybody is very shocked that Jim lasted 10 months without a guide. And even he said that he wouldn't have lasted very much longer without ending up in an institution. So if the, uh, if the, um, the Sentinel comes on very early in life. They have to have help or they're going to end up going crazy. It's just too much stimulation, and they don't have um, the natural protections that guides do in the Awakening universe. It's different in Sentinels of Atlantis because there are built-in protections, uh, and John is online for years, which is another reason why I can't mix the Awakening with Sentinels of Atlantis because I established in the, in the Awakening that um, the, a, a, a Sentinel couldn't last very long without a guide. But in Sentinels of Atlantis, John is online from the time he's five years old and doesn't meet Rodney until he's 32. So I can't mix those two together for that very reason alone. Then I asked, do I plan to have a showdown with Caroline and Blair? Is that her name, Caroline? Is it Carol? I don't remember. Jim's ex-wife. Anyways, do I? I don't know if it would be a full-on showdown. I think that she's very jealous of Blair, and she has every reason to be. Um... It would be, I moved her out of the way as far as the plot goes because I didn't want to put up with her. I didn't want to have to address her character in scenes. So I transferred her out of the unit after she served her purpose, which was basically, from a writer point of view, the opening with Jim, it was just, a way of introducing Jim's isolation in the story and her hostility and how that hostility made him retreat a little. And so after she'd done that for me as a character, I didn't want to put up with her, so I transferred her out of the unit so that she wouldn't be a problem. And there we go. I don't think that Blair would um, censor himself around her, so yes, they could end up having a ginormous argument if they were put in the same place. 
at the same time. Um, ask. You mentioned wanting to write a story where people had tattoos of their soulmates' names. Do you think that something like that would work in the Sentinel in a Sentinel fusion? I think it would actually. It'd be very interesting. I read an awesome story in um, the Avengers fandom where uh, Tony and Steve had the names written on each other's wrists. And when Tony's name emerged, it was Steve Rogers, and he was, you know, it was kind of terrible because Steve Rogers, the only one that he knew of, had been dead for many, many years as far as he was concerned. And Steve had Tony Stark on his or Anthony Stark on his, and the only Stark he knew was named Howard. So, again, that was kind of fucked up. So when they meet in the future, it was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And it was a really great story, and I can't remember the title of it. Um, I also like the ones where the they have a countdown clock on their wrist. It's counting down the time until they meet their soulmate. I think that's really interesting. There was also another one in the, in the um, Avengers fandom where people became connected with little red threads. And Tony could see the threads. And so now I will try to find that story and for you, but I don't have it currently handy. Anyway, I love those stories because I just think that's so awesome. I just, I just think that whole, that whole soulmate thing is just really cool. I don't know, Azor. It, it might not be freezing up. It, it might be me pausing because um, I'm having a very difficult time here. Azor is complaining about the audio freezing up. Lady uh, Lady Holder's on hold. I'm going to put her on the air so I can take a little breather. Ah, so I get to carry some of the load while you go get yourself something to eat and drink? Hint, hint, I already have nag, 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 nag. I already have <laughs> something to eat. I just can't talk and eat at the same time, or I could, but my grandma taught me not to do that. It's terribly rude. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah, I know. I'd make a hell of a nagging guide. Anyhow, um, one of the things that got me, um, and at this point I had, when I'd read Awakening, and by this point, I had read an unholy amount of Sentinel and Guide fiction, um, was that both guys were, well, you've already touched on it, they were guys, okay? Uh, they knew they were men, um, to, to, <laughs> to quote men, uh, men in tights, manly men. Uh, and, men in tights, you know, they were just, tight, tight. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's totally worth it for the scene. But you can't just the, not do it. Were, when you hear that term, no. men in tights, you just can't not sing part of the song. It's just impossible. Na 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 na. Yeah. Anyhow, um, <laughs> my favorite part is the tight tights. I love that part. Yeah. It, it makes me giggle every yep. time. I just I, I can't help myself. <laughs> <sighs> so, yes, guys, this is what we do. This is how we act. Um. And if you haven't clued in by now, I'm really damn sorry. The the th- other thing about um, 
the way everybody is acting in Awakening. Major crimes other than Carolyn, um, they are open, they are accepting, they see the competence that Blair isn't disguising by being the the hippie that he is in in the show. Okay. Um He's a college student in the show. He dresses in what's affordable and what he has, and I'm betting he, he and Goodwill were good friends. But in The Awakening, he's a professional. He's a doctor. He's already a grown-up. And so he dresses and acts to reflect it most of the time. It goes back to the point I made earlier about when you change something in a character's history, it has to reflect and it has to ripple out in their life. And when I made Blair a guide, it changed mm-hmm. his character fundamentally. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a universe where he's not separate. fighting against the tide. He's part of it, you know. Because mm-hmm. in, in, yeah. in the canon, Sentinels are a myth. They're an urban legend of mm-hmm. sorts. And so <clears throat> in... The Awakening, Blair doesn't have that issue. He's not railing against the man or the machine, so to speak. He's no. he's he's part of the machine, and he's right. He's you know he's tailored himself to be very attractive to Sentinels mm-hmm. because he wanted one, and so he's not separately the same character that you see in the show. Mm-hmm. Senna says, "What determines someone being a Sentinel or a guide?" For you, and have you ever wanted to go back and change that choice sometimes? Um, um, well, I tend to agree with most of your choices as to who's the sentinel and who's the guide. Um, I don't think I've ever really wanted to flip it on any of yours. Um, I don't see being a sentinel or being a guide as the extreme end of the human... Um, behavioral map, okay? Um, Being a guide is not equal to being extraordinarily feminine because, I'm sorry, there's women I know who can't boil water and getting them to clean the house takes a major miracle. It just doesn't happen, okay? Um, And then there are guys who are so neat and tidy that their OCD has OCD, okay? It's just ridiculous. Well, I would say... What I would say about this question is that um, some people treat sentinels and guides like dominants and submissives. I don't do that. I don't do that. Um, But people do it. You see it in fandom Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, the guide is a submissive in the relationship, and always the bottom. Oh, God. Always. Always the bottom. I don't do that in case you missed it. Um, for me, mm-hmm. a sentinel and a guide are different sides of the same coin. They mm-hmm. are partners. They complement each other in every single way. Um, and, and that's mm-hmm. what. And so when it comes to picking who's going to be the sentinel and who's going to be the guide, I don't really make a conscious decision about that. It's just how it works. Like, for instance, <clears throat> I knew going into Sentinels of Atlantis that John would be the Sentinel, and that's actually like Lola's fault. Ah, totally mine. 
I and no, when you know, I, that yeah. one goes back. That one goes back when to I wrote the I'm awakening, sorry, guys, but well, when I wrote the awakening, um, I just used canon for that. I mean, so mm-hmm. it's I've just a flip, but it, it's hard. It's a thing. When I actually I started searching for John Shepard as a sentinel because I had read a couple <laughs> where Rodney was a sentinel, and uh-huh. I didn't buy it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. And it's not a reflection on Rodney. It's a reflection on John. Because John uh-huh. is emotionally constipated in canon. That's putting it mildly. And it is difficult to see him in a role, in a story where he has empathy. <laughs> it's difficult to see Rodney with empathy, but it is twice as hard to see John with empathy. Now, someone said, had this awesome description of John, and the author said he walked around Atlantis with a Teflon coating. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that makes a perfect sense to me because John uh-huh. is just, emo- he, he's not hes not incapable of emotions, but Rodney is super emotional. Rodney's so what he displays isn't always everything he's feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, more often than not, he comes off hostile. But Rodney, in, even in canon, he's he's vulnerable, and he has mm-hmm. an emotional range that John has no hope of ever reaching. Nope. But it was difficult for me to see John as a guide, which is why I started looking for John as a sentinel, and I found Lady Holder's work, which inspired Sentinels of Atlanta. Right. Um, so when it comes from- to the awakening... You know, I used the canon that was already there as far as that goes. I mean, the the, the guide part of canon is, is basically non-existent. There's like one reference to Blair being a guide, and that was by that CIA mm-hmm. jerk-off who tried to kidnap yes. him. Yes. He called Blair mm-hmm. a guide, and, a- and he was the only one to ever use that term, ever. By the way, OT... So it's not um, necessarily discon- canon. Di- no, disconnecting um, from your emotions... It's great when you're in combat, from what I've been told, but you have to actually connect. Otherwise, you're just a sociopath in uniform, and that's not a good thing. It really, really isn't. So, yeah, and you're welcome. When I play, when I write John, I don't make him emotionally unavailable. Um, I make him, like I said, emotionally constipated. Constipated? <laughs> yeah, he has Jim. them. It's just really mm-hmm. hard for them to get them out. <laughs> yes. He needs a literal or figurative push to express himself. Uh, but when uh-huh. he does, it's it's sincere, you know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yes. I I agree, even Barbara. The, I have read some really awesome stories where Rodney is the dominant and John is the submissive. Mm-hmm. I've read those. I enjoy reading them. I'd never write one. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly oh, because yeah. I identify most closely with Rodney, and um, I really like to get Rodney on his knees. Just a personal <laughs> preference. Just There's um, one of the things about Jim uh, Ellison and how he acts. 
there's a lot of things, a lot of how the base sentinel that a lot of people have used in other sentinels or with other sentinels, a lot of it can be laid at the feet of his dad, William, because William Ellison, by any stretch of the imagination, is at, at you know at the best emotionally abusive, if not mentally, because of how he treated Jim. Okay, mm-hmm. and and frankly, his brother. Okay, uh, Stephen. The two of them had to compete in ways that no right-thinking parent does to their kids. Okay, um, William should thank his lucky stars that you know um, his housekeeper was honorable enough not to twist the kids. Okay, because no, he should he thank his lucky had... stars that John and Stephen didn't turn into the Menendez brothers. There remember that? that too. Yes, yes, I remember <laughs> they that. Killed their that parents. was revolting. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, <laughs> he was lucky to survive his children's childhood <laughs> because he was a bastard. Uh-huh. <clears throat> oh yeah. Okay, I need to pause for a minute. Um, you keep talking. Okay. Somebody asked for some questions or something. I'm, I'm going to put myself on mute, okay? Okay, you go ahead and do that. I don't know if I'll be still talking. Somebody tell me if I am. Um, one of the other things about Jim and how his dad treats him is his dad knows, I mean, come on, it's kind of hard to miss, that Jim is an adult, all right? He's a six-foot-something, you know, still talking. Thank you, Ilek. Um, he's He's... A grown-up, he's been in the military, he's come out the other side of the military, and he he's an adult. William, on the other hand, treats him like a child because, <laughs> because um, oh, yeah, because he can, because he, does, he hasn't uh, acknowledged that, that Jim is out of his control yet. As far as beautiful and dangerous things, which is from Cinna, um, that was started because, uh, Kira dared me and me being the absolute sucker that I am, I typed up something, I sent it over to her and to be honest, it was a, supposed to be a, see, isn't this nifty? I sent this to you. I responded to your dare. I got it back with something and it bloomed from there. And we have radically different styles, but on the Sentinel and who's the guide, I'm sorry, I can't see Sherlock as being a guy. Um, John is indeed badass enough to do a fentanyl. Oh, my God, is he badass enough. But the whole emotional connection, um, even remotely this bit nurturing, putting together a, a habitat that is not toxic, no. Uh-uh. Um, remember, Canon Sherlock had interesting things that used to be living in ways that were sentient in his refrigerator next to the butter. And um, John kind of drew the line at that one. And it's this, yeah, <laughs> this John um, is not going to put up with that. All right. And, Actually, it's something that I don't think I remember here or reading in The Awakening. Uh, Jim doesn't have quite so many rules, the Tupperware rules, which are famous or infamous, you might say, throughout fandom. 
Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, how, I mean, they have no, Jim has no emotional privacy uh, from Blair because Blair lives nestled in his emotions. And Blair is never going to have physical privacy. And they walked into this knowing that was going to happen. And so in a lot of ways, that's incredibly mature because I don't know about any of you guys, but the thought of being that fair to somebody is, is hor- horrifying, all right? It's um, an emotional honesty that most people can't deal with. So, yeah, it gets interesting. Um, I'm not horrified by that level of emotional honesty, mostly because I have that near that level of verbal honesty. <laughs> yes, because you're that's because your give a fuck got broken and as a matter of fact I think when I was like two get you Yes, if I remember correctly, one of your nephews offered to go get you one for Christmas and your whole family choked. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Um <laughs> No, I don't see <laughs> Sherlock at all as a as a as a guide. I'll just put my foot in there, too. Um, he claims he's a sociopath, but that's not true. Um, it's what he no, wishes he was. He wishes he was a sociopath. Oh, yeah. no, I don't think that's true. That's not true at all, actually. Um, he wishes he had his emotions under lock and key, or better, that he had none at all. But he does. Okay. He He's practicing a level of denial that is amazing. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. If if he, if humans <sighs> had the the whole um, colonar routine that that you know the Vulcans have in in, um, in Star Trek, <laughs> uh, Sherlock would be the first one up for it. And by the way, you're right. Uh, I can't pronounce that one. Hammersmith, whatever. Uh, Sherlock is more emotionally stunted than John Shepard, if that is even at all possible. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that Sherlock Holmes, if he was as emotionalist as he claims he was, especially in the new version, he wouldn't be a uh, uh-huh. addict. No. Okay. Um, beautiful. <laughs> he self-medicated for a reason, and oh, it yes. wasn't physical. Okay. Which means it was mental I and emotional. This is the point. Um, Beautiful and Dangerous Things is the modern BBC Sherlock. The movie Sherlock with Robert Downey Jr., there's a absolutely – oh, my God, he is. Uh, Even in his pretty dress with his pretty blue eyeshadow, which is just an absolute horror in and of itself. um, Yeah. (laughs) There's a absolutely lovely – story, um, Sentinels and Guides in Victorian London or something like that. I don't remember. Somebody can find it. But it's, um, <laughs> and yes, they are very gay. They they got it right, okay? Um, I can't see in any of the, the Sherlock's and, and John Watson's, I can't see Sherlock as being a guide. Parts of it just don't quite compute. And I don't see John as a sentinel, John Watson mm-hmm. as a sentinel, 
but I can't see Sherlock as a, I can't see any version of Sherlock Holmes as a guide. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Arlena, yeah. you are correct. Arlena, you are correct. Observations of Sentinels and Guides in Victoria and London and Lilac just found the, uh, wow, two people found it for us. Um, what I would say about that story was, was is it's great. It is also mm-hmm. the most frustrating fucking thing I've ever read in my life. <laughs> no, really. I it is fantastic. But I read it as mm-hmm. it was a work in progress. And every time she stopped and John and Sherlock hadn't met yet, I wanted to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the most oh, yeah. frustrating reading experience of my mm-hmm. young life. <laughs> mm-hmm. My young old okay, life. Oh, but no, great. No. It's a fantastic Random story. Uh huh. <laughs> yes, Arlene, we can stab it at you. Um, another but, uh, yeah, so, um, where are we at? We're at 26 minutes. One thing that you, mm-hmm. <sighs> thing that you put forth um, with your awakening, and it's, it's something that I've seen spread throughout fandom. I mean, it's amazing how um, fandom ripples, okay, I I don't know, and one of the the minions can probably find it for me. Does anybody know if there were any John is the Sentinel, uh, McKay is a guide stories before this, before I did mine? Because I don't think I saw any, and that's part of the reason I did it. Um, But it's... I found, I read, when I was looking, I think it was the only story that I found. It doesn't mean that there weren't more out there. I just didn't know about them, and I couldn't find mm-hmm. them, and they weren't on race bait, which was about all the place you could go back then, um, mm-hmm. or fanfiction.net, which is not yeah. conducive to hit. No. But seeing anything in particular. The, the reason I was commenting on it is I see it a lot more now. And because of the awakening, I see a lot more of the matching the genetic um we we will find your match and and uh tell you about them and you will meet them and fall in love and things will be rosy okay <laughs> it's it's shown up hey you started it um did i i don't know I so well the thing is is before this uh some of the most of the, the stories I read with the Sentinel and the Guide had compatibility, but there was no you are my one, my only, my, my fated match, okay, or the fact one of is, of that's my not true in the Awakening either. Well, Jim had two perfect genetic that, matches. Yes, he did, but for all the fact that genetics told them that this other person was a good match, Mentally and spiritually, the guy wasn't. Right. And I wrote that in there because I wanted to point out that science is is great, but it's not infallible. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's not. <clears throat> 
500 vehicles to sell, 500 ways to save. One month only at Phil Penny Mitsubishi during May Memorial Month. Now through May 31st, we will accept your credit application. A $200 down payment and a $350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi. Don't forget, every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty. You can win 5000 with our 5K test drive giveaway. Visit BillPennyMitsubishi.com. To qualify buyers on a free credit, warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only. One entry per household per month. Must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance. See dealer for details. You know, and it, it did its best, and it did a damn good job, but it wasn't, it wasn't everything. And no. that is, that's one of those things fact, that you, I was you tempted to make it. Blair a near match. At huh. one point when I was plotting, I was going to make Blair a near match and the guy in Seattle a perfect match, genetically speaking. Oh, Jesus. But that would have been an interesting um, trick. I kind of resent it. I kind of regret and resent myself for not doing it. I think it would have been a very brave uh-huh. decision as a writer to make. Uh-huh. And I didn't make it, so I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's always the the um, shade two of you know the AU off of it that you were doing, you know, and have that be in your match, which would definitely fuck everything up. Oh, I had a whole bunch of different yeah. stories. Um, yes. That I started with the Sentinel, and I was like, mm. but then you know I got so disillusioned with the fandom, and it made it made writing. Yeah. Difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, they're all, they're all a bunch of Nancy-ass prima donnas anyhow, so, you know. Oh, them. well, you know, they don't kiss my ass. <laughs> uh-huh. it, but you know what the worst part is, is that I actually got hate mail from people, and it goes back to that crap I hate to talk about. I had mm-hmm. more than one big-name fan email me and accuse me of ruining their Light My Fire Awards. <laughs> oh, they could. I'm oh not my kidding. God. I'm not kidding. At least they claim to be. And that's the most fascinating thing is when you find somebody who claims to be a big-name fan. They, know, they use anonymous emails. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the hell they were. Don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. They could have used their real emails, and I still wouldn't know who the fuck they were. I don't that's actually pay attention to that shit. I don't... Um, I couldn't name you the big name fans in Stargate. I don't know who they are. Mm. Let, let me try. Yeah. Um, Astolot. Separus. Yeah. Esperanza. Yeah. Um, Zant. Damn it. Oh, Zant is an. Uh, well, yeah, but besides her. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Sybil, but besides Kira, uh, damn it. Oh, but I don't call myself a big-name fan. I think that's stupid. <laughs> I I sit there and completely goggle at but it. But Marcus, no, I, they literally told me, you don't know who I am, but I'm a big-name fan in the Sentinel fandom. That's how they fucking open their email to me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly. <laughs> Anyways, um, it kind of ruined me a little for the Sentinel fandom. Uh-huh. Um, and 
I guess I feel about the Sentinel fandom about how Zant feels about the Stargate fandom. Mm. Disillusioned and hurt. Mm-hmm. Because that's, yep. that's how I assume she feels. I don't know. If I was in her shoes, that's how I would feel. Because the fandom in large turned on her and, and mistreated her and abused her in such a way that if I knew the name of a single person responsible for that campaign, I would come to your house and stab you. How fucking dare mm-hmm. you? Really? Yeah. There's a um, somewhere, and I don't remember who, I think it was Lit Gal, it might have been her, who did a um, Sentinel fandom where there were the shades of dominance and submissiveness in it. And it was traded back and forth between Blair and Jim. And neither one of them was purely one or the other. Uh, both could be easily defined as switches. But they they moved it back and forth depending on needs and wants and who, who frankly, you know, had their motor rev uh, for what. And it worked out, and it was incredibly hot. And it was very definitely a case of equals. All right, so that was that was just fascinating in and of itself. Um, and pretty fucking and rare in the Sentinel fandom. Huh? And pretty fucking rare. Pretty fucking... Oh, yeah, very. Um, if I can find it for you guys, I will find it, whatever. Who are uh, the big-name fans in the Sentinel? <laughs> um, I guess what, Candy Apple? Is that one? Lick Gal. Lick Gal was very um, big, I thought. Yeah. Uh... Uh huh. I can't yeah. think of any other, but I'm sure there are some. Um, yeah, there are some. And I'm not accusing either one of those ladies of being the ones who harassed me in email. I'm I'm not. Yeah, either. Because it's probably not them. The fact of the matter is, is it's probably someone who wasn't actually a big name fan. Except it's except in their probably own head. Probably somebody whose panties were on a twist. Because yeah. I didn't win. And the thing is, uh-huh. is um, I really didn't care if I won. <laughs> it was nice. And I pointed it out oh, to yeah. people that could vote, but um, I wasn't uh-huh. going to cry if I lost. Ever. Yeah. It's <laughs> I'm not built that way. It's oh, um... Farscape. I am reminded of Farscape um, scape lately because of its, in, of its inappropriate cancelization, which reminds me of oh, Firefly, Jesus. which brings me back to almost human. Fuck you, Fox. <laughs> Just, oh. Didn't almost oh. Fox, hey, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second, wait a second. I thought almost human got re- renewed. No, it didn't get fucking renewed. It didn't? Son of a no, bitch. God. No, no, it didn't get fucking renewed. It, it, it's really... Irritating, and this is why you can't trust Fox. You cannot trust mm-hmm. Fox with your mm-hmm. shit. Don't even bother. I'm not gonna watch Gotham. Why get Why get invested? Fuck Woo-hoo. that. This is the point. I'm gonna skip Gotham because of Firefly and Almost Human <laughs> and Dark Angel and yeah, John Doe. Um, I really enjoyed uh-huh. John Doe too. Um, just. Fuck you, Fox. And 
it's just I, I am never going to invest myself in another Fox show ever again. And when Bones goes off the air, it's I'm going to stop it. watching Fox all to begin with. It's 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 completely not worth uh, bothering with Fox most of the days. There's there's reasons I stop watching TV, even though it horrifies me. I also um, enjoyed Eleventh Hour, Senna, and that pissed me off. They also canceled Intelligence, and hello, that motherfucker was beautiful. Why would they cancel that? He was amazing looking. Who gives a shit if he can ask? Expensive. It was all blue screen. You can't tell me that shit was expensive. <laughs> I'm sorry. All I could think of was um, that uh, Garrett Maggart, which is the guy who played Blair, um, up until about five years ago, I would say, was absolutely one of the most beautiful men I'd ever seen. Uh, the guy who plays Neil Caffrey has pretty much taken a, over that particular spot. So, oh, my God. Oh. Isn't he both? Wow. Uh-huh. He is beautiful. He mm-hmm. is beautiful. Um, Chris Pine is beautiful. Oh, my God, yes. My mother my mother and I went to see Jack Ryan in the theater. <laughs> and as we left... Fine, I went to go see that one. She turned to me and said, you know, that was a decent movie. <laughs> mhm. But upon reflection, it didn't have to be, because he's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> yes, he Andy is. is. Yes. Chris Pine is beautiful. Just. Oh my goodness, beautiful. golly yes. And Matt Boomer, Matt Bomber, Boomer, Bomber, Bomber. He's beautiful. Yes. And oh. Yes, he is. Wow. Breathtakingly beautiful. Hmm. <sighs> Husband is a lucky, lucky man. Um, you know, there's Chris Pine's mouth watering. He's just. Uh, I could watch The Princess Diaries Part Two three times a day. <laughs> yeah, no, that. I think I'll just go. I'll go rewatch um, Jack Ryan for that one. Thanks. That's just. Absolutely fabulous right My there. My favorite part of Jack Ryan is, um, if you haven't seen this, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you. T- turn your head, t- you know, stick your fingers in your ears for 45 seconds. I don't know. My favorite part of Jack Ryan is when they um, take his woman and he runs through the streets mm-hmm. and picks up that pipe and shoves it through the window. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was in my seat yeah. fighting. I have my fist out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's fighting the air. Yes. He jerks his girl out of the oh car. My. And it's like the biggest, fuck you, man. <laughs> How dare you? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was great. It, I loved it. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He he does it very well. It's going to be interesting to see where this rolls into and how the, the whole thing um, ages in. Because Jack Ryan gets older every every time, and so it, he's not going to need to be perpetually young, which is, is going to be interesting. Um, rolling back to The Awakening, and um, I know you said that you, in, in Sentinels of Atlantis, the uh, spirit animals were, for the most part, picked. Um, how did you pick... Uh, damn it, Simon's child. How how did you pick his? Um, Who? Simon's kid. I can't remember his name. Derek. Um, Daryl. Daryl. Oh, the lion. 
Um, yeah. It was, uh, it, number one, I wanted Daryl to be really powerful, and what I knew from my own choices was that if a guy was powerful, he was going to have a predator for a guy. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pick an animal from Africa. It boiled down to that. Okay. And when you look at predators in Africa, there's a, there's a, there's really only one that's on top, and that's a lion. Well, and so that mm-hmm. that's why I picked lion. Because um, I wanted to call back to um, his African heritage and to speak on why the gifts might have been dominant or, or dormant or latent in Simon's family for so mm-hmm. long is a commentary on slavery and how a, how slavery conditions would have been detrimental to a sentinel or guide. Oh, incredibly. And so that was why I did that the way I did that. And I wanted to call back on Daryl's ancestry a little bit and give him a really powerful, strong predator. And when you look at predators mm-hmm. out of Africa, there's no bigger predator than a lion. Nope. Not one that's not going to be having some unfortunate connotations, at least, across um, across the West. And, and, and the a next... lion is noble. It's a, it, mm-hmm. it's a very noble spirit animal to have. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. it would be so noble in nature, you know, considering um, the fact that they eat their young. And <laughs> or they lions eat their are other lions. lions <laughs> and male are lions are kind of jerk faces. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Um, they kill cubs to make 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 female lions mm-hmm. fertile again, and they don't do their own hunting or whatever, you know. But as far as the spirit guy goes, a, a lion is a very noble um, creature to choose, mm-hmm. and that's why I picked him for Daryl um, for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And it was no more than that. It's going to be interesting, at least because with that particular choice, um, it's not like you've got a civet or. Um, you know, one of the other small uh, predators that that abounds in Africa, and there are lots. There's lots mm-hmm. of the, you know, 10 or 20 pound predators that, you know, run around. Or, you know, hell, you've even got a cheetah who is pretty badass for their ecological niche, but they bow down to, to lions, okay? Yeah. So, you know, you've got the top predator of... um of the continent there, and I'm even saying that that uh, well, if true. I remember right, jackals don't. The well, biggest predator on any continent is man. This is a point, but I'm talking the four-footed <laughs> kingdom, not the two-footed. <laughs> All right, and I'm sorry. The day the day a sentinel or a guide has a has a human for a spirit guide, we're fucked. Okay, <laughs> for it's real, right? <laughs> All right. If, That's if also why I've avoided, guide, for the most part, primates. I think it's a little too close to uh-huh. comfort. It's kind of weird. Uh-huh. Because I'm sorry. Yeah. If you think that spirit guides give uh, their their charges the you dumbass motherfucker look, do you really think a humanoid one will not say, you dumbass motherfucker? <laughs> it's just... So oh, Marcus is asking, so is Daryl a sentinel prime? No, because Daryl's a guide. He's a guide. <laughs> Is he a prime? He has the ability to be a prime. One thing I touched on in um, The Awakening is when I talked about um, the beta guide and sentinel in the pride in Cascade Mm -hmm. was that the reason that Thomas was a beta guide was because his sentinel wasn't an alpha. 
And mm-hmm. Jim says that Thomas could have easily been an alpha guide if his sentinel had been mm-hmm. an alpha. And that's because prides are led by the sentinel. They're mm-hmm. guided by the guide, but they're led by the sentinel. And as much as Blair is respected in their pride, all of them, Blair included, look to Jim for leadership. Mm-hmm. He's their general, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So is it possible that Daryl could be a a, a guide, an, an alpha guide? Yes, it's very possible. Um, is it possible that he could be an alpha sentinel prime? That depends entirely on his sentinel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if his sentinel is a prime, then he will become with by, become one by default when he bonds with her. Mm-hmm. So. It's, um, yeah. But from a, um evolutionary standpoint, what I've established in the awakening is that Jim's rare. So the likelihood yeah. of another prime being born in his region is extremely unlikely. So when Daryl gets his sentinel, she could be alpha, absolutely, mm-hmm. But she won't be a prime. And I'm pretty sure not one, not she's going to be that territory. tiny and blonde. <laughs> oh, that's going to go over well. <laughs> At the very least, yeah. tiny. Hi. Maybe Ellen Page, because she's so tiny. She's like five foot one. <laughs> tiny but fierce. <laughs> It'll be and fun. Doesn't. Bannon keeps having um, Daryl grow up to be somewhat close to his dad's height. The actor, I don't think, ever quite made it that to that height. But it, it's one of those... Oh, here's here's one of the things, I think, part of the reason why people treat Blair like he's a wuss and the... And the, the I'm sorry, the extremely um, feminized uh, version of himself. He's almost... A, He's what um, at least four or five, if not six inches shorter than than Jim. Yeah, okay. yeah. The actors and have so, a you, large height difference. Yes. Speaking so, of, you know, the, physical characteristics. My favorite episode of The Sentinel is the one where Jim's on the oil rig because <laughs> he I takes off all his clothes and takes a shower. Wow. <laughs> that guy was uh-huh. booming in his day. He's he's not all oh, that great looking yes. now, honestly. He's good looking, but he's not as fabulous in the body department as he used to be. But mm-hmm. damn, yeah, yep, yes, indeed. Damn. Uh, anyway, there is a there there is a height difference between them, and it's mm-hmm. ugly that people translate that into weakness. Yeah, it is because it's it's completely not that. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, the the difference between the two of them, Blair is um, very easily in touch with what. By the way, guys, Garrett Maggart, the guy who plays Blair, is five seven and a half. Um, so yes. <laughs> and a half, and compa- and a half. Yes. Hey, it's important. Um, you know, and I'm five foot three. Richard Bergie. Yes, Richard Bergie is six foot two. 
So there's almost five inches between the two. Yeah, it's actually pretty no, significant, it's like and it shows up no, a lot. No, there's, there's almost seven. There's almost seven, actually. And, I, and that's a big difference, especially on TV when you see them together. Uh-huh. But still, it's yeah. ugly for people to oh, yeah. make that connection. Or And also, and this is also ugly, and it happens a lot in Slash, to assume that the smaller man is automatically the bottom and that the yeah. bottom is automatically the men. It uh-huh. makes me want to stab somebody. And I've uh-huh. this before, and... And it's really irritating. It it it, it makes. I have closed fix for this. And I'm gonna tell you something. And it's terrible. And it could be because of how I was raised or where I was raised. But mm-hmm. I really. And I said this earlier when I started the show. I really don't like to see men cry. <laughs> it makes me really uncomfortable and and worried. <laughs> because in my family. Mm-hmm. When the men in my family are crying, things are fucked up. <laughs> yes. Things way, are genuinely Sina? fucked up. <laughs> yes. So now I wouldn't say five inches. I would say more like, you know, eight inches um, uh, for both of the, the gentlemen. So, you know, that would be a good time. But, you know, that's that's always the fun part. The, the, there's a story that I read, and I don't even remember where I found it. Um, that mentioned that Garrett Maggard, Blair, had gone over to England for a con that they that was being held over there, and his I think it was his brother-in-law at the time slipped him a couple slash stories, and not knowing what he had, he read them, and he wasn't so much horrified by the slashiness as. He basically asked the ladies, please pass this on, can you please make it so Blair isn't always on the bottom? Um, Because (laughs) apparently he wanted some equality there. And And I don't fucking blame blame him. I don't either. (laughs) You know? And so, yeah. You know what I hate to see in con footage? Um, And sometimes you see it, is when some crazy, now I'm telling you right now, do not ever get up in a con and ask one of these actors about gay sex. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Don't. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. The first rule of fandom is you don't talk about fandom. The second rule of fandom yeah. is you don't talk about if fucking you don't fandom. Talk about okay? Mm-hmm. It's just inappropriate. It makes me so uncomfortable. And also, I follow some of these mm-hmm. actors on Twitter, and the very mm-hmm. thought of one of them clicking on a link and finding one of my stories <laughs> makes me terribly uncomfortable. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's terrible. Um, we have 90 seconds left. Don't ask yeah. actors about gay sex. It's no, rude. although appar- apparently um, the guy who played Dr. Banner in The Avengers took it incredibly well and went off to show uh, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, RDJ that, that has been posting um, Science Bro pictures on his Twitter for the past week. Mm-hmm. That's pretty funny. We've got 60 mm-hmm. seconds to go. I'm going to put a survey up on my live journal for the next author commentary. I'm going to pick a couple stories, and you guys will get to vote, and the one that gets the most votes will be my next commentary. I'll see you bitches 
hopefully next week I have a schedule. Mm-hmm. As always, I want to thank Lady Holder for getting online and, get, and keeping me straight. Always. And, and, you know, nagging me. You guys have a great <laughs> evening, and thank you. Yep, thank you indeed, folks. You guys have a good day, evening. vehicles to sell 500 ways to save one month only at Phil Penny Mitsubishi during May Memorial Month now through May 31st we will accept your credit application a $200 down payment and a 350 a week paycheck can get you a new Mitsubishi don't forget every new vehicle comes with our 10-year unlimited warranty you can win 5,000 with our 5k test drive giveaway visit PhilPennyMitsubishi.com to qualify buyers on a free credit warranty valid through 10-year ownership on new vehicles only one entry per household per month must be 21 with valid driver's license and insurance see dealer for details